What's up, guys? It's Simon Wu. Alex Miller. And today we are on the fifth Wiki Game Guides Comcast, and we are privileged today to have a special guest from our community. Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Hey, guys. I am a Millennium Master in 18. Uh, nice to meet you. And glad to be in here. All right, so this is the perfect example of how you guys can get involved with the Comcast if you want to join us like he is on the uh, on the Comcast. So we're going to immediately kick this off with our community callback segment, which um, he'll join us with. And so our first comment today is from DPD underscore Champloo, who leaves us this iTunes comment. So, uh, the comment reads, The two hosts are well-informed and intellectual. A lot of podcasts talk about gaming and technology, but that's all they talk about. Not as much fluff as the other gaming podcasts, and I appreciate that. Good work, guys. Happy to be the first review on what I hope to be many. Well, I'd like to go ahead and second his thoughts there, or his or her, not sure, not judging. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, I hope that uh, there will be many more reviews, uh, hopefully some of you guys listening. We'll go ahead and uh, go on iTunes, subscribe, uh, rate it, you know, all that good stuff so we can get it up there in the boards. But also, um, I mean, uh, Simon, I'm not sure if I'd call us intellectuals, but, you know, I'll happily take the credit. Um, but, yeah, I mean, as he says, he or she says, uh, not as much fluff. And that's, sort of, that's, that's what our goal has been from the beginning is just to really cut to the core of the issues and, you know, just talk about things and go into his depth. I feel like I'm... Now on like CNN or Fox News or something, but regardless, uh, thanks a lot for the comment. All right, and Millennium Master will take our second comment. Well, here's a comment from Night Shroud. Hey guys, tried to download it via iTunes, but when I look for new episodes, it says episode 4 is available and I tried to download it. But then he gives a file of 24 kilobytes and says to download again. Right, so this ties directly into our third comment from Michael Kirshner that says, Looks like the show is very popular. The bandwidth limit has been exceeded again. I would suggest using archive.org instead for storage. And so we, what we have to say here is that we have had unprecedented demand, and that's pretty awesome from you guys. Yeah, we, um, we actually hadn't expected the, uh, the, fourth podca- or the fourth Comcast to go up when we did it. Uh, it- you know, there's a bit of a mistake, and it went up a couple of days early. But, you know, that's cool. Whatever you guys jumped on it, it actually, like he said, went over our uh, our bandwidth limit pretty quickly. So Simon and I sort of, were sort of scrambling to try and fix that. We've, once again, fixed it. We've upped our, uh, our bandwidth limit. So hopefully uh, we're not going to run into that issue again for quite a while. But at the same time, I kind of hope we do, because that means you guys are listening, means you guys are subscribing. Well, not, yeah, you're subscribing, downloading, all that good stuff. So, yeah, I mean, thanks for that. It means that really, like, like we said, every time you guys have done this in the past, it just it makes it that much, you know, that much more important to us because, you know, we know you guys are actually paying attention. Right. So uh, there's something I noticed on the the most recent uh, Comcast that was released, number four, which was that we've seen a steady decline in the number of comments, but we've really seen a ramp up in the amount of emails that we've had. And on on the whole, the emails have been much more complex, providing much more analysis 
and much more feedback than the comments. And I think that's where it's going. And if if so, if we're going to see more emails from now on, uh, that's completely fine. Feel free, you know, by all means, to send the, uh, your thoughts to us. And that's not to say we don't want to see your comments. We absolutely love it. That's you know, this whole community callback segment was created around comments. All it's saying is. If we're getting emails, that's awesome because it means you guys are, you know, taking the time to really sit down and put some some real solid thought into it and really discuss some things that are obviously important to you and that, you know, give us stuff that we can really talk about. And, you know, it's I think it's awesome to get both comments and emails. All right, so our next, uh, we finished the comments here. As we said, we're a bit short on those, but there's plenty to discuss in emails. And this first one was actually one that uh, Millennium Master sent us, uh, asking about how he could get involved on the podcast. Okay, well, let me read it then. Uh, Hi, Simon and Alex. Uh, I write this to you just to take advantage of that involvement opportunity, as I guess you mentioned on the podcast. I have some questions regarding that. Uh, For how long can a member of the community guest through the podcast uh, to community callback only or to the whole thing? Uh, how many people do you plan to accommodate per podcast? Uh, one at a time or a lot of people at the same time? Uh, if you would have me, preferably with another guest, if someone else volunteers, that would be great. Uh, a bit of warning about myself, though. I can go short on words, and my knowledge of recent gaming news as well as gaming on consoles is scarce. So I may not a- be able to provide a lot of recent game talk. That said, I can expand some topics based on my impressions of what I know about the subject and also to a few personal gaming-related analogies. Regards, and keep up the good work. All right, so obviously um, he has elected to come on the podcast today, which is an awesome thing. Yeah, and just to sort of address each of those sort of sub-questions one by one, uh, at least initially uh, what we're going to do is for our guests, we're going to have them come on for the community callback. That way they can... You know, as he as he just did, read his own email. You know, because I think that's kind of cool, getting your own stuff and being able to actually voice it. Uh, and then we'll also go through and discuss. We're gonna keep him on through uh, the rest of the community callback. As Simon said, there's lots of emails, so we're gonna treat those almost like their own topics and just sort of go into depth to a lot of the things that they talk about. So at least initially, that's what we're gonna do. Maybe in the future, we'll see about having uh, guests for the entire podcast but since this is sort of something new we're just trying out we're going to try and keep it short so we can work all the kinks out early on and then perhaps in the future see what we can do from there and then sort of tying into that is how many people do you plan to accommodate per podcast uh, i mean as obviously right now it's just uh give me one at a time the reason for that is we're actually we're using skype to do this and i think you i think you have to pay to do more than two at a time simon right i'm there's three of us. Uh, Alex and I actually are in the same room so that we can share on one video channel. So for right now, until we figure out some improved logistics, uh, we'll keep it to one person. And probably not more than uh, two guests. That's four people total because beyond that, it's really hard to identify voices. And uh, sometimes it can get confusing. Yeah, and then for the uh, the last bit where he's you know, describing himself a little bit, you know, Hey man, you don't need to be hard on yourself or anything like that. You know, we're just we're just on here to chat. That's the the whole point of this thing is just talking about games and gaming news stuff like that. So you know, Simon and I we try and do a little bit more, try and read up. Though by no means would I call us you know, sort of masters in this field or anything like that. So we just want to have people on to uh, talk and share whatever 
their uh, their ideas are because as we've said from the very beginning it's a community podcast so you know this is this is really the the ultimate goal is to have as many community members on as possible or probably over you know a bunch of episodes and just have them talk and express their views and really just get on and chat so you don't feel like oh you have to you know be a, a master in this or you have to know all this kind of stuff i mean if you know a lot of stuff that's awesome that that's great that gives us a ton of stuff to talk about but you know if you just want to get on and talk you know that's that's great too we'll happily have you and we look for more requests right our next comment from josh cowbell hopefully i'll have time to listen to this later but have you guys thought about hosting an e3 press conferences impressions podcast might be interesting to get your quote and possible contributors takes on the biggest announcements um, so I have something to say about this. Obviously, at this point, E3 has come and gone. But what we will do is we didn't want to do it spur of the moment and just kind of voice our thoughts immediately as they came in. We wanted to, as we do with most topics, have our trademark sit down, wait for the news to pass, really uh, analyze it once we have all the facts in front of us and parse out the details, think about what it means for the gaming industry moving forward as a whole so we're currently uh furiously writing show notes and really trying to understand what these uh announcements from all the various companies mean our next episode is going to be an e3 wrap-up kind of analysis show and uh we've been permitted to do that by uh, uh I, I want i want to take okay. this one by his most excellent and serene holiness Defender of the faith thereunto belonging, most dread sovereign and supreme head in earth of the wikigameguides.com realms, highest occidental star, etc., by the grace of the Almighty, the most high potentate, Lord Dan Broadbent. Uh, I think uh, John might take issue to that. <laughs> yeah, I think Simon Simon meant to say co-sovereign. I think you yes. might have messed up there, Simon. <laughs> oh shoot! That's uh, all right. Now now we're off the air. They're they're gonna pull our pull our support, or at least half of them will. All right. So um, next. So uh, all right. Let's see what we've got here. I, okay. Take the next one. Yeah, sure. The next one is uh, an email, and uh, as we've said, our stated policies: we're not going to give any personal information, names, or anything like that, unless you want us to. So the next one reads: I have a question regarding your discussion about gaming companies turning from consoles to mobile devices. You seem to feel that this move is mostly unanimous. Do you think that Nintendo or any other Asian, that's in quote, publishers and developers will be so quick to change? Or will there be an obvious line of good versus evil, concert developers versus mobile developers? Well, before we really get into this question, I'm sort of curious where the uh, the view of Nintendo as a purely console developer came from. I mean, if you think about it, they've really, up till the iPhone in 2007, they really ran the handheld market. I mean, the Game Boy on whatever iteration it was on really reign supreme for like 20 years in that market so it's uh i'm just sort of wondering where that's coming from just purely purely from uh myself i'm just wondering and as we see this in the retrospect uh of e3 i think this comment really uh shows um what happened before e3 now that we've been through it we've seen nintendo's 
we won't delve into it too far here because this is not our E3 analysis show, but really quickly, we really saw them not do any kind of turn towards mobile gaming. They really stuck it out with their own thing. They really said, you are just going to have to buy our next console gamepad and all. We're not going to make any kind of uh, compromise with you like Xbox did with smart glass on the smartphones. And so I want I want to uh, phrase this or frame this in terms of an analogy. I want uh, Windows Phone and RIM, they're the makers of BlackBerry, uh, to succeed in the smartphone market because competition is always good. That's what capitalism is based on. However, as as much as I can really hope for that, if the companies themselves don't actually innovate or move anything forward in their respective markets, then they're obviously inevitably going to go down. I mean, we've seen this a, a lot, especially with uh, with RIM, and once again, Simon, we run the risk of turning into a, a phone podcast. But we've seen this with RIM for the last couple of years where, I mean, they, they ran the uh, the business smartphone market for many years, and then the iPhone came along and took out a chunk, and instead of really innovating and evolving all that stuff. I mean, they added the optical trackpad instead of the little ball, and they tried the torch. That didn't really work out that great because they, they sort of they, they tried to compromise between having a keyboard and a touchscreen and just all the, these things. And so I, and I think your point is a very good one and a very valid one. I mean, if you're, not, if you're not innovating, if you're not coming up with new ideas, and this is going back to a previous discussion we had about uh, requiring new IPs, and not just recycling the same stuff, then, I mean, as, as much as we want it, there's not going to be competition because they're just going to go down, as you said. Right, and as going back to my analogy, the same, the same analogy applies here, or the same idea applies here. As much as I want Nintendo uh, and Sony, to a slightly lesser extent, to really try and push the bar forward and uh, try and make a concerted effort um, to face mobile gaming effectively... If they don't, then what can I do about that? It's 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 really abundantly clear that they have to change because the DS uh, and the Vita have have been tremendous failures, especially when compared to the iPhone and Android. Well, and I mean, I I think to be fair, Simon, I think we're we're a little quick to judge at least the Vita. It's only been uh, I mean a, a month or two, a few months, something like that. And to be fair, maybe it didn't get the uh, the launch it wanted. But considering that its competition is not solely dedicated to gaming, I think a lot of it it's competing at something that has a bunch of other th- things. Like it's uh, so I, I feel like I'm not expressing this correctly. I mean, it's like phones do many things. So if you're buying a phone for games, that's great, but you might also be buying a game to, or a phone to use as a phone or a phone to use for its apps, whatever. But all of those sales come into one thing. They don't separate out, oh, well, I bought this phone just to do games, versus if you're buying a Vita or a DS, you're buying that just to do games. So in a way, the competition, it's not necessarily fair to compare the two because the numbers are going to be so skewed. I mean, as as that is the way that they're recorded, but uh, I mean, I don't, I don't know. Right. The uh, the the author of this email also talked about whether there was going to be a real uh, delineation between console and mobile gaming, and 
Yes, there are some people who are really known for kind of uh, casual gaming, like Zynga, obviously. And there are a few people known for um, kind of uh, hardcore gaming as well. But that, that delineation is really quickly fading because, as we see, Ubisoft, uh, for their Assassin's Creed games, they're starting to venture into Facebook games, browser games. Same thing with EA joining in for Mass Effect promotional material and games online. And I mean, with the with the spread of uh, of HTML5, this this delineation is only going to get blurrier. Right, because it makes it easier for smartphones to process it. Makes it even easier. You don't need Flash, and you don't need a desktop or a laptop computer to even use it. You can just access it on your tablet. So we're going to now move on to our next email with those thoughts. Um, this one reads, Hi guys, great shows so far. I just have a question from the last podcast. How do you feel about DLC exclusive to a system? Take the recent Mortal Kombat game. PS3 got Kratos, while Xbox received no character. Personally, I feel it would be better to have each system receive their own exclusive character but I'm just curious on your take of it. And this, uh, this email, obviously in response to our story on the last podcast about whether limited editions are really pushing it too far, and that kind of segued into this whole uh, exclusive DLC discussion or not. And so I have my own thoughts on that. In the, uh, in the author's case here, it was unfair that the Xbox didn't get an exclusive character. So let's say that if it did, it would probably be Master Chief or Marcus Phoenix or someone else like that because God of War is a PS3 exclusive uh, franchise. But I can live with that because, again, if we go back to our previous discussion, I'm fine with there being exclusive skins that don't really change the nature of the gameplay. However... Substantive story content that only a certain few can access, and arguably even worse than a limited edition cons uh, version of a game, it's locked onto a particular platform. That's even worse. I can splurge an extra thirty, forty, fifty or so dollars if I really, really wanted to for a limited edition, but I can't if I want a whole nother platform. That'd be absurd. Now, one of the best examples I can point to of this happening is one of my favorite uh, game franchises, Assassin's Creed. Assassin's Creed 2 in particular, which had the Copernicus Conspiracy DLC. Or no, for Brotherhood, I'm sorry. It was only on the PS3. It was not on the Xbox. And that, that kills me because that is content that I will never be able to access no matter what I do. I mean... I could buy a PS3, but, you know. Yeah, I mean, Simon, to your to your point before, you were saying, oh, you could splurge 30 or 40 or whatever for this exclusive DLC. I mean, what's the difference between that and 300 or 400 for the device? I mean, I, I recognize that, I mean, in terms of the amount of money, but in principle, it's it's sort of the same thing, isn't it? I mean, in in principle, but only in the in the least possible sense, because that's... that's uh, kind of a scale there 30 40 300 400 buying into a whole nother system having to learn psn six axis all that kind of moving to a whole nother ecosystem and just just for this one dlc just for this little part 
And I don't say, and I'm not saying just this little part as if it was trivial. That's actually some really important story that ties into the game that I really like. And as it being a game I really like, I want to get all that I can from it. But 300, 400, that's, that's just prohibitively expensive. I'm, why would I do that? Yeah, well, uh, I think that, uh, well, uh, as always, uh, exclusive uh, DLC is always going to be uh, some kind of marketing ploy for the system. So uh, I would, uh, it's not that uh, po a popular of a choice yet. If the developers do uh, decide to do uh, that sort of thing, that uh, there is actually n uh, nothing stopping them. Uh, popularity wise, there's a lot of factors that. Uh, affect them uh yet uh corporate wise uh, they don't uh, really have that uh, many rest restrictions in that matter so right yeah. yeah so uh for example i mean uh, one of the more popular and i hope it becomes more popular avenues for exclusivity is timed exclusives where a platform gets it let's say 3 or 4 months in advance Okay, that I can live with. We talked about that a little bit um, on the last podcast where the uh, Assassin's Creed 2 Templar Dens, Templar Hideouts, which were available on the limited edition, were eventually made available to download on Xbox Live Marketplace uh, a few months after the game's release. That I can live with if this DLC had been made available for 800 Microsoft points at some point uh, after the game's release, I would be perfectly fine with that. And I, I acknowledge that the Xbox has had its share of exclusive characters and things like that. I believe it was Dead or Alive 4 that had uh, a Spartan as a playable character in that fighting game. Yeah, and to go back to our guest's excellent point, I mean, in a, you know, in a way, this is sort of just it's it's not going all the way because one of the things that you could look at is like exclusives to a console i mean what's the difference between exclusives like pc or console you're saying like a a game may have something that's uh, available on one console not on the other but i mean just taking it a step further there's some games that are available on one versus the other i mean we sort of we've been arguing semantics for most of most of this discussion, but I think it really boils down to just these sort of these key principles that they so they sort of unite both sides of the argument. It's just we're what we've been arguing really is just semantics. I mean, what's the difference between something that's available on one console but not on the other, and like we take exception to that, but a game that's available on one and not the other, we're not really all that up in arms about. Yeah. And so, obviously, this is a debate that's going to continue. This is a debate about whether, really, the, as our guest mentioned, the, um, the marketing value of it, obviously, because, obviously, Assassin's Creed has been a very heavily uh, PlayStation-slanted um, franchise. Mass Effect has been a very uh, Xbox-heavily-slanted franchise. Maybe it's just the way those things lean and I just had the misfortune 
as did, I guess, a lot of gamers to get hooked into, or a lot of Xbox gamers, to get hooked into a franchise that inherently supported the PlayStation more. And we already see this with, uh, I think, Vita and more PlayStation-exclusive content for Assassin's Creed 3. So maybe I'm just a glutton for punishment. But uh, whatever our thoughts may be on that one, uh, we're going to move on to the next one, which is kind of not reacting to any uh, particular point that we made, but it's, uh, as we said, this is another great example of people asking questions and uh, really pitching them to us as a forum for discussion and debate. And this one in particular about whether the leveling up system in popular franchises like Call of Duty uh, really need to be overhauled. So it's pretty lengthy, and we're going to divide this up piecemeal. Yeah. All right. Uh, it says, uh, I have been recently thinking of this for quite some time and would like to hear your opinions on this. Uh, leveling up in a game where it be RPGs, multiplayer, or MMOs always seems to be the exact same for every game. You go into a level, kill a couple of enemies, gain experience points, and bam, level up. In my eyes, it makes no sense at all. And, it the same, and it's the same for multiplayer games like Call of Duty or Halo, where the contrast between one player's skills to another is completely dissected b based on skill level. And this is especially true of the skill-based matchmaking, where it finds players of equal skill to you based on rank. Just because someone is the same rank as another player doesn't not make them equally skilled as another player. Um, fairly certain we have all joined uh, our first matches in a multiplayer game, only to be playing against dramatically higher ranked players. Skill-based matchmaking seems to have just gone out for lunch. And then I'm going to take the next part. It says, for there to be a perfect matchmaking system, a player needs to be connected to players of equal skill. And I think this changes... Or this change to the leveling up system will revolutionize multiplayer as a whole. Instead of players gaining experience in order to level up, you level up based on how long you've been playing for, similar to how the military promotes soldiers. In order to level up from level 0 to level 1, you need to play for 30 minutes total. In order to level up from level 1 to level 2, you need to play for an hour total, and then 2 hours total in order to go from 2 to 3, 4 hours total to level up from 3 to 4. So in order to get from level 0 to level 4, you would have to play for a total of 4 hours, compared to an hour to get to the same rank. And along, this, along the way, you gain virtual money to spend on gear, weapons, or perks, like in Black Ops. However, in order to unlock certain gear, you need to be at a certain level in order to purchase a certain item. That way, the scope between one player's skills to another is that much closer especially if the matchmaking is extremely selective in its searches for players of similar skill. If matchmaking, if multiplayer had matchmaking similar to that of StarCraft II, where you played against players on equal playing grounds, this could have the potential to be the best multiplayer experience in existence. Okay, uh, I'm really hoping that games deviate away from the ga same generic gameplay mechanics that we all know and love or hate. Uh, it saddens me that games in this day and age are nowhere as innovative as they were uh, 10 plus years ago. Uh, comments, criticism, and critiques are always welcome. So, this is interesting and fresh thinking, uh, based on a precedent that at least the author cites uh, appears to be working. Um, and from what I can tell, the entire system of leveling up 
is it goes all the way back to D and D uh, and the old the old role playing games, um, where that was the only feasible way to kind of have character advancement, uh, at least I think, because it certainly couldn't be the way that the author suggests um, that it work, which is uh, based on time. Because uh, believe me, I played D and D and. If it were based on time, I would have been, I don't know, maybe a level 500 by now based on the amount of time I spent in encounters and uh, just general adventuring. But early computer games and RPGs in particular, like the Ultima series, uh, ported that system over. It continued to more recent RPGs like Knights of the Old Republic. And really, at that point, everyone was so familiar with the system that they didn't really want to stop, so now we have it in places like WoW, places like The Old Republic, places like Call of Duty. And it's uh, it's really an ingrained system, and we're not really sure how, how anyone could really revolutionize the whole thing. I do have one suggestion, though, and that is to get rid of prestige. Call of Duty needs to get rid of prestige, because... I was, uh, when I was playing Modern Warfare 2, that was a while ago, uh, I was level 30, zeroth prestige. I had not prestiged yet. But I was being matched with people that were ninth or 10th prestige. And that's, that's not right. That's not how it was supposed to work. That is broken. And really, to your point, um... They didn't really have even better guns than me because technically they were zero or 30 on the 10th prestige, but they had so much more skill. And to your point, it is that skill that they hadn't factored in yet. Of course, the guns can all be the same, but it's really about your finesse, how much you've played. The uh, the issue with what the... Uh the listener suggested, or at least what I sort of took away from it, is that basically what they're, they're advocating a leveling up system that's almost like grinding, where, I mean, honestly, if you're just doing that, I could leave my Xbox on, go sit my dude in a corner, and come back four hours later and have all kinds of galactic space bucks and what have you to go spend in my heart's content and go kit out my player now that I'm ready to play. I mean, it's just, I don't, I, I do think you have to take skill into account. However, where I will, I will agree is we're probably, we've been measuring skill in maybe a way that is broken. I think StarCraft II does an excellent job of this, and that's chiefly because of the many ways that they measure skill. I mean, there's all kinds of measurements and benchmarks and things that can be used as uh, sort of a rubrics and once you take all those together you can make formulas and things like that that can place you specifically at you know x skill amount and then you can base other people with x skill amount or y z uh y uh skill amount because that's close at, enough at least to x but you're not playing with somebody who's a skill amount or what have you because there's multiple things that come together and in that way determine skill it's not just you know amount of time played or amount of kills got it, you know, whatever. I also think that, going back to my prestige uh, rant, it should be strictly linear. You should go from zero to 5,000, no matter how ludicrous that sounds, because you can clearly tell at then 
if you really are being placed with someone by your skill level, if they choose not to use the prestige call sign, then you'll be able to tell that this is going to be uh, a match that's not in your class. And I'm not really sure exactly what prestige accomplishes. I think it was just supposed to get rid of your weapons. But again, the weapons really aren't what makes the difference. What makes the difference is the skill. And something else that I think needs to they need to get rid of is unlock overload. And I know Dan and John have talked a lot about this on Two Chimps or Drink Alongs. But unlock overload really only benefits uh, the OCD people and people who play it a, an, ex, an extremely large amount. For me, just getting started in Modern Warfare 3, if I've got tiers and skill levels and trees and different like paint and paint jobs and attachments and perks and things and equipment for my characters and I have five different custom classes, I, I mean, I just want to be able to really just have a streamlined experience. I still want some customizability because I want to get that feeling for it, but I don't want it to cause me to really make an Excel spreadsheet, more or less. Though, to be fair, Simon, there are some people who like that, and I think that's the the real challenge developers face is, you know, marketing to everybody and making a game that everybody enjoys. This is sort of going back to that that talk on casual games, how they're much easier to market to the masses because they're simple. There's not much that you can not like about it. So, I mean, to your point, you you could at least streamline or eliminate some of the, some of the parts of this unlock overload, but I, I think somehow you'd have to retain it maybe in some sort of settings where you could choose, do you want streamlined or do you want this? And I mean, Mass Effect, Mass Effect 3 sort of did this where you could choose to go through like action-adventure mode or RPG mode, and it sort of slightly changed the gameplay. But I think I think developers need to at least investigate that route a little bit and see if that's possible without, you know, being really expensive. Because that way, you know, everybody's happy and you don't get these internet campaigns and stuff like that. You mentioned that Mass Effect 3 streamlined this. I think the one that streamlined it more was Mass Effect 1 to Mass Effect 2. If you remember, Mass Effect 1 was pretty much the standard kind of uh, transferring over the system from games, old, older Bioware games like Knights of the Old Republic or Dragon Age, where it's a billion different weapons and armor, and you can have a billion different ways to customize them and basically slice it this way or that. They really, really aggressively cut that down with, um, with Mass Effect 2, where there were like five or less of each type of gun, there is a clear set of progression or alternate choices, whether you wanted reload speed or power damage or something like that. And then there were uh, only a few certain upgrades that you could pick up along the way, uh, you know, in the course of missions, and then research them in the Normandy. Now, they went, I think they went a bit too far with that. They were a bit overzealous in clamping down in Mass Effect 2, they kind of um, went back a little with Mass Effect 3, where you can buy uh, 1 through 10 versions of all the guns, and then you can upgrade them with different attachments, two different attachments per gun, and there are skill trees now, and things like that. And 
I really think Mass Effect 3 did a good job with balancing out uh, how much uh, choice you have while still making it an enjoyable experience, not trying to blow your mind with, okay, I need to combine this attachment with this gun to make sure that I have this effect maximized with this skill tree in order to make sure that I have maximum damage on this particular attack. Um, and so, <clears throat> sorry, excuse me. Um, with that said, you're going to have to keep um, in mind that there is a very likely the possibility that developers aren't are just going to keep making games for consoles, but the uh, the compromise they're going to make is, all right. So we see that there is demand for this, but we see these mobile games. We put pennies into them. They make us millions of dollars. We really don't want to put this much effort into making, uh, putting in millions of dollars of production value and teams and man hours into these console games and getting uh, diminishing returns. So this is what we're going to do. We're just going to give you maybe a graphical upgrade, some more things to unlock, some more achievements, and send you on your merry way. We're not going to innovate it. We're not going to push the envelope forward in terms of gameplay, in terms of story, um, in terms of mechanics, because that's, that's, that's their compromise to us, and that's a very dangerous slope to walk on. And hopefully more developers will take after Cliffy B. As we read on the last Comcast, he's, uh, he's definitely at least going to be pushing uh, his company to try and push the envelope as far as possible, and you know, hopefully many others do as well. Right. So we'll conclude that lengthy email. I mean, that was incredibly dense with very great thoughts, a new take on things, and definitely a new avenue for uh, you guys to consider if you've got a question that you've just been sitting on for a while about anything about gaming. Uh, send it to us, and this is a forum for discussion. Yeah, d- definitely don't feel like you have to respond to things we've said on here. I mean, we we definitely love if you would. We'd love if you guys would continue the debate and continue the discussion because that's sort of what our role here is. Is we like to think of ourselves as moderating this instead of really you know preaching to uh, a bunch of people. So, like, keep sending us these emails that respond to things we said, but also send us more things like this where you're you're thinking of new ideas or new concepts or what have you. Just, you know, things that are fresh or different, and we love talking about that. Okay, Uh, with that said, we're going to move on to our next one, and this was sent to us by a listener, I guess. It was definitely pre-E3 because um, this one was basically uh, written the day before Microsoft's E3 press conference where they unveiled Smart Glass and Xbox Music and all of their plans for that. However, I think it's still important nonetheless because it provides us a lot of insight into Microsoft's strategies. So uh, it's a blog post on Microsoft's official blog uh, written by Yusuf Mehdi, who's the chief marketing officer of the Interactive Entertainment Division. All right. Well, he writes that the Xbox has arrived at an important inflection point. Uh, the Xbox has transcended from a gaming console to a broadened entertainment device inclusive of movies, TV, music, and sports. Uh, I, hap- I happen to, uh, well, I agree with that. Uh, 
uh, the Xbox has been getting a lot of uh, new stuff going in uh, in regards to, I don't know, Netflix, etc., etc., uh, when it co- and it's no longer uh, just a gaming console, as uh, uh, Simon and Alex have said for numerous times. Uh, it's also a uh, a media device. Right, and importantly to our original point that we've mentioned, he also says, "quote Xbox will always mean games, but for tens of millions of people around the globe, it also means music, TV, movies, and more." And while saying that, he actually cited some MPD numbers for a, a, a pretty amazing stat that even during this economy, when uh, when all other console sales have started to take a downturn, the Xbox has continued to increase its sales. And he, he says this is because of the variety of different entertainment choices that are available on the console. As we've been saying from our very force, or very force, our very first recording, uh, I mean, the Xbox is, is so much more than just a gaming console. It's something you can do a little bit of everything on. I mean, I know Simon and I, while uh, we were we were re- researching a, uh, a topic for later on in the cast, and we were looking at a video on YouTube, and we decided, hey, you know, we've got my TV here. I don't want to look at it on my little, you know, 15-inch computer screen. I might as well look at it on the... Uh, 40-inch TV screen. So we fired up the Xbox, went to the YouTube app, looked up the video, and watched it on there. And I thought that was really cool because you're not just playing a game on there, you're watching your content in whatever form it is. Yeah. And, of course, we will put this uh, the link to this picture of these NPD numbers in the link dump on the uh, show notes for our post because I think all of our listeners should take a look at it. It's it's pretty remarkable. Well, uh, he also uh, fi- uh, finalizes the death of soon at, at this next breakpoint and moves forward. It says, uh, ju- just as Xbox has grown to mean more than just games, it also is more than just a console. Uh, this year, Xbox becomes the premium entertainment ser- service for Microsoft, where on your PC, tablet, TV, or phone, Xbox will be a gateway to the best in music and video, your favorite games, and instant access to your friends. With the launch of Windows 8, we'll bring Xbox entertainment to everyone. And this just ties right in with all the things they talked about at E3, with the smart glass and Xbox music and all these things. They're really really trying to make Xbox sort of this, this unified experience across all their devices, just as they're trying to make the Metro interface a unified med, uh, interface for all their products. Right. And also, um, again, here, as we saw with E3, nothing to suggest anything about the Xbox V Next. Now, our next uh, story submitted to us... Oh, no, never mind. Millennium Master has a point to make. Go ahead. Well, yeah, about that last point. Well, I would think it was proper to them to not uh, uh, announce it at this E3 since, uh, well, uh, can, the, uh, Microsoft is now with the Kinect and it's uh, marketing it a lot, so uh, so to speak. So uh, I would think they would give it more time to reap up uh, whatever profits they can make out of it instead of just jumping to the next generation. They're not going to be hex- head starters, and they're usually are yet i don't uh this time uh they will rather get a little more uh money out of the connect 
Yep. And that ties right in with the discussion we had, I think it was last time, about the Kinect and how it's really just now getting into real mainstream, quote-unquote, hardcore gaming. And so that's sort of that's sort of the, what we were talking about last week, and Millennium Master is, uh, has expressed his views there about how the Xbox will probably and Microsoft will probably ride this out for at least another year adding to my idea that the Xbox will be around at least a couple more years. But, I mean, I think they will just sort of ride this out for a little bit longer, at least try and get the Connect to its full potential, whatever that may be. All right, so now, um, yeah, good thing you stopped me when you did because we got to hear that uh, excellent point that you made. But here we have next an Engadget article, uh, Basically, again, another very pre-E3 thing uh, about the Xbox 360 getting Amazon uh, video on demand, where Amazon is getting into the action with more video services, and it supports Connect Motion. Those with Amazon Prime or the Kindle Fire will be able to get all this content uh, for free. And I think at this point, Simon, it's it's pretty evident that we have a bit of a not an unintentional but very present uh, Xbox bias. I almost feel at this point we should start a, a segment on the Comcast saying, what new content and service provider did the Xbox get this week? Because, I mean, I, I feel like every every other week, every week, whatever it may be, we're just listing something new that Xbox has added to the lineup, which just keeps making the point that this is no longer solely a gaming device. This is a home media machine. Well, I think, off of your point, it's an even more stark contrast to note that there's been no word from PS3 or Sony or Nintendo about their respective plans, in fact. Nintendo is pretty much next to nothing in terms of expanding the potential of the Wii or now the Wii U as a set-top box or media device. Sony, maybe just a little, but what they really want to do is hang on to Sony Entertainment, Sony Blu-rays. They don't want other people to cannibalize other parts of their business, and so they're also very reticent. However, Microsoft has no problem with it. It sees its main competitor as Apple, Apple with iTunes, with the Apple TV, and believe me, they are gunning full for Apple's throat on this one. They really want to match or uh, top the uh, you know all of Apple's offerings in this in the segment. And in a way, this is this is really rubbing salt in the wound of not necessarily the failure but the sort of plateauing of the Apple TV like they it launched and it did reasonably well but it was by no means the sort of just amazing home media device that would sort of solve all our problems that uh, a lot of people at Apple hoped it would be I don't think it had the same success that may have been projected Just wait until these rumors about the Valve Steam Apple box. Let's see. Let's see what they provide to us. Well, uh, I think also it has to do with uh, the the brands themselves. Uh, Well, we have known Microsoft uh, for years, and uh, and Apple has its own base of customers. Yet they're not as wide as the Microsoft has gotten with uh, the PC. Uh, it's a reality we have to face uh, nowadays, and uh, that might have influenced a lot with uh, uh, how Apple TV did uh, in comparison to what uh, 
Microsoft can do with the Xbox 360. Right. To your point, exactly. That was an excellent point. Microsoft just announced that they sold 600 million Windows 7 licenses. And currently there are, I think, uh, I know I'm going to get corrected on this, uh, 60 million Xbox users. So compared to the the amount of Mac users, it destroys their base, I think, almost entirely. And I I think the way the Xbox really went about it where they they definitely went down that avenue of gaming first, develop a, a very hardcore, passionate following, expand through more maybe family-oriented, casual gaming, what have you, widen that base, and then start to introduce content like Netflix, like Hulu, whatever. And I think just sort of the, the slow sort of billowing out into to cover so many more bases, I think that's what's made it as successful as it has been. It's sort of building upon previous foundations and not just sort of jumping, jumping in to things in the, the same way the Apple TV did. Right. Going back to our uh, the original article, um, where you where it says you can if you have Amazon Prime or a Kindle Fire for service, you can get these uh, all this content for free. That's the kind of thing I'd like to see, where you have one service and therefore it gets you other things. You know, this combined approach where this cost is shared across multiple devices and platforms unlocks different content. I would love uh, I love Amazon Prime get seventy five dollars a year for two-day shipping on anything I want. And then, oh, look at this. If I have a Kindle Fire tablet, I can access all this content. I have an Xbox, I can access all that content. I have a PC, I can go on to Amazon.com and get all this content for free. So it not only affects the three screens, four screens that I use uh, technology-wise, it also affects my daily life with shipping. That is the epitome of what I want of a service that I pay one fee for doing so many different things, um, basically, technologically and physically. And I think that's really what the future should be. And so, uh, if you have anything to add to that? Mm, Well, uh, not really. You pretty much uh, wrapped it up pretty well. Okay, so our uh, next... We're going to do our segment together, which was, again, sponsored by Dixicle, originally shared with us, where we talk about what we've been doing in gaming since the last podcast. Alex, why don't you kick us off? Well, uh, as ever, I'm continuing to do my Assassin's Creed complete playthrough. Actually, uh, Simon just dropped off Assassin's Creed 2, so I'm going to tear into that pretty soon. going to have a blast with that, but I've also been playing a ton of Star Wars The Old Republic lately. I mean, I, I got this game right around launch, and I mean, I was really excited, really looking forward to it. I'd followed it for a long time, but it was actually sort of it was a surprise. I got it as a gift for Christmas and had not been expecting it. And so I, I fired it up, I played it for a little bit, but because of the, the machine I had at the time, I had a lot of graphical issues with the game, and sort of like it would run fine, you know, graphics looked great, all that stuff for, you know, 10, 15 minutes, and then I'm not sure what would happen. Like, the, the computer would just slow down and just it would be unplayable. That may, I think it was probably more an issue with my uh, my RAM or something like that, but regardless, it really became unplayable, and I was just got frustrated, so I just I stopped, and I, uh, I removed the card from file, so it, it stopped billing me and all that stuff. 
but uh, and then I came back. I I uh, got a couple uh, a new computer uh, a couple months ago, and recently I had a little bit of time on my hands. So I said, hey, you know, I've still got the uh, still got the disc and got all the stuff. Might as well go ahead and try it out. So I uh, went ahead, paid the fifteen dollars because I mean it looked fun, and I remember the good times I had with it when it was running fine. So I figured it hey, it's worth another shot, and started playing it and just god i've just been pulled into it it is fantastic game i'm having a ton of fun and yeah it's just it's been great all right so millennium master you want to go ahead and share what games you've been playing well ultimately i haven't been playing that much of games uh, since i got uh, another responsibilities to do but whenever i got free time uh, i usually go to a closet favorite of mine uh this one's a tactical shooter, uh, Rainbow Six Ra- 3, Raven Shield, along with its expansions. Uh, it's uh, I like the gameplay of it and how it's just one shot, one kill. Uh, uh, even for you. you uh, it, is, uh, it doesn't play around that much with regenerating health, or there's no regenerating health at all. So uh, I like to the st- uh, strategy part of that game, and whenever I have a... Um, Whenever, uh, well, I have free time, uh, I usually go and pull up a tourist hunt, either on the uh, pre-made maps or some of the custom maps they made. Uh, I also be, I also have been getting a, a little bit into the next, uh, a more recent iteration of Rainbow Six, which is uh, Vegas 2. Uh, my computer can barely support it, yet uh, it runs fine, and I kind of like the aspect they they... Uh, they took on this, yet uh, uh, it deviates a little bit from the original uh, Rainbow Six. So uh, that's uh, something that it can turn off some people. Uh, not me, though. Uh, it's overall a pretty good gaming experience by its own. Yeah, and I mean, the the whole Rainbow Six series, the, the whole franchise has really been excellent for quite a while just the whole the whole sort of tactical shooter aspect of it i know i've played it in the past and i just i would have to agree with you just the whole the way it differs from a lot of modern shooters with regenerating health and all this stuff it really it doesn't it doesn't play around as you said it's really it's you have to think you have to you have to think smart and then you can play smart and then you won't die right so for me uh like millennium master real life has kind of um made uh, gaming take a a side road for now. I just was spending the past week in uh, New Orleans, Um, so I really haven't had that much time for gaming. Uh, That being said, my Mass Effect uh, Complete Insanity run-through is pretty much at a standstill right now, really lacking the steam to push through that uh, right now because I've just played it so much in the past and really kind of dreading returning to it. I know I'll return it to it at some point just just to say that I did it. But for right now, what I'm doing is I'm playing a bit of Left 4 Dead 2 and then continuing the legendary run uh, of Halo Combat Evolved Anniversary. So that concludes it for our community callback segment. Um, thank you, Millennium Master 18, for coming on. Yeah, you, uh, you did a wonderful job. We'd just like to... Thank you for taking the time out of your obviously busy schedule to uh, spend a little time with us and chat. And for anyone who's listening, you want to get involved, this is a wonderful time to uh, send us an email or a comment to uh, hopefully get involved. 
you're welcome. Uh, uh, it actually was my pleasure to be on your podcast. I didn't think you would actually uh, uh, take your time uh, at uh, accommodating this uh, uh, reunion in sort of ways. So I may have not contributed that much, and I <laughs> it's uh, usually uh, nervousness. Yet uh, I'm I'm pretty uh, thankful for you guys uh, 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 put me through. Uh, it's not, uh, well, <laughs> let me rephrase, uh, what I was going to say. Uh, I, the topics were very interesting and I pretty like, uh, much like the experience with you. Uh, I hope, uh, in m perhaps a, a few months later, um, we might do this again. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just thanks for coming on. I mean, I, you said, uh, you were surprised that, we uh, would let you on. Hope that's not the uh, impression that we've been giving people. We, I mean, as we've been saying, we're we're trying to be completely genuine when we say we want as much involvement from the community as possible. So, as I said before, you know, go ahead, send us that email, and uh, see if you can uh, get on the show. We'll be happy to try and accommodate you and do what we can to make sure our schedules match up. And I mean, don't as as I said, sort of at the beginning. Don't don't sweat it if you you feel like you're not going to be able to say anything. I mean, Millennium Masters did a wonderful job contributing throughout the entire segment, and I mean, I'm sure everybody who's listening to this, you know, you can speak. If you can speak, you can do this because all this is is just talking, you know. Right. So, with that said, if you want to contribute, um, like Millennium Master has beautifully here, please send an email to comcastwgg at gmail dot com. Or comment below. Also, while you're listening, subscribe on iTunes because um, that's an easier way to get all your content regularly and delivered to you when you want it. It's on the iTunes store, so you can just go into the client, search on the box, WGG Comcast will be one of the only two results that pop up. The other, obviously, being two chimps on a Davenport. While you're there, five stars, leave a comment, um, say all the other reviews were helpful. Um, because we we just need the support, and because it's from you guys, all of this comes from you guys. If you want to be on the podcast, then send us an email. We'll work something out. And with that, we're gonna go ahead and say thank you and goodbye to our excellent guest, Millennium Master. And with and then I think after that, we're gonna go ahead and move on to our next segment. Alright, so we've said goodbye to Millennium Master 18, and we're going to continue on with our topic-based discussion for the remainder of the podcast. Now, it's important to note at this point that we are almost an hour in, and we just finished the community callback segment. That's pretty incredible, and it's not that um, we've just been talking at length. It's more that you guys have sent us so much content, and obviously another member of the community has uh, joined in. So um, rather than see it in a negative light, we see this in a very positive light, and we really want the community discussion to become part of the four. That was the original idea. We just provide a short amount of discussion to get things started. Well, yeah, like we've said, we're sort of starting the discussion, prompting it, if you will. So uh, the more and 
we see in community callback, the longer it goes, the more it means you guys are involved, and that's awesome. So we're going to start off with our first topic today, and it is uh, discussing blockbuster marketing. So I've seen this uh, more recently. Uh, it's been a growing trend in video game marketing, which is increasingly elaborate productions of live-action trailers. Now, this really started with Halo 3 Landfall, which, if you remember way back when, 2007, were these series of three short films. One of them was like the arming up, and then the other two were the ODSTs preparing for Master Chief's landing. And this was the thing that got everyone hyped up, that it was going to be the precursor to the Halo movie. The guy that was supposedly in line to be the director was the one uh, in charge of it and all of that. And while that didn't really pan out, uh, the movies themselves were pretty nice, uh, blew everyone out of the water at the time for the amount of effort and the quality, and really now we're seeing that become quite common. Yeah, I mean, we've seen longer ones where uh, it, it's still been live action, such as the uh, Assassin's Creed Two lineage. I, I don't even know if we can call that a trailer. It's more like a, a short film, uh, but we've seen that. Also, with uh, with things like the the rest of the Halo ones, the ODST, the Reach trailers, they they've continued to do those. But we've also seen uh, more more recently some very realistic, some very well done CGI cinematics that sort of have gone more from trailers into almost extended movies. So we've seen this especially with uh, the Old Republic, such as the uh, the Deceived or the Deliver Hope trailers. Yep, and Mass Effect 3 also had these kind of elaborate, they're more than the usual kinds of pre-rendered cinematics in that you know, it's got really high production quality, really artistically motivated, long, elaborate scenes, and so Mass Effect had, for example, Take Back Earth or the initial teaser trailer with uh, the sniper talking about how we really needed Shepard and he was injured and uh, sitting in Big Ben as the the Reapers came down on London. Yeah, and uh, I mean, we've even seen this in Modern Warfare 2 with, really, uh, you'd be surprised having seen this, you wouldn't, you wouldn't think it was, but it's a great fan-made prequel uh, titled Operation Kingfish. And I mean, it's just, it's the, the fact that, you know, even fans can do something with that high production quality is uh, is exciting. And along the lines of, Alex, you were saying it's not necessarily a trailer, more of really uh, kind of a prequel movie almost. Um, what really turned me on to this topic, really got me thinking about it recently, was uh, the Ghost Recon Future Soldier Alpha, which was this 20-minute prequel uh, movie to the game. Yeah, and as I said earlier, we were uh, doing some research, watching a video on the Xbox, and this is actually... That video, we just we sat down in my uh, in my in my game room and got the Xbox going and went to the YouTube app and got the uh, the video going. It was it was just it was awesome. Just to sit back and watch it because I mean it's it's just like an, an awesome little short film, but at the same time it sets you up. It sort of teases all these various little things that are going to be in the game different gadgets, different squad things, all kinds of stuff like that. So it, it's very subtle, so it's not really in your face 
advertising, but it's it's enough where you recognize that it's the things that's going to be there. And I mean, at least for me, it got me excited and thinking, hey, this could be interesting. Yep, and um, really, that that was some of the best production quality I think I've ever seen on something like that. It was just for a video game, yet. Really, it could have been 20 minutes taken out of uh, an action thriller. Um, so Ubisoft in particular, we've seen them work with short films um, for Assassin's Creed, now for Ghost Recon. They're really to be commended, and they this isn't the only thing they've done. They've also done animated cartoons, comics, novels. Ubisoft really is pushing the the envelope in what can be done with this kind of quasi secondary and true secondary material. I think it's it's quite fantastic. Yeah, I know they're they're working with uh, I can't I can't remember the animation company, but they're working on developing a uh, a movie like like full length thing uh, going to the backstory of uh, of some of the characters in Mass Effect. Yep, and. Uh, Despite our constant talk, we seem to be uh, talking about it week after week after week. Uh, the EA and everyone is moving towards mobile gaming, console gaming's going downhill, this is the end of the world, etc. We're continually seeing more and more highly refined and really probably high-budget films being made for them. And we want to ask this uh, question to you guys. Why is this? Who who's the audience that they're looking at? Do we treat them as I was just saying, like secondary material? Is it on par with a novel or a comic, or is it a marketing thing? Is it going to be on par with a trailer? Uh, it kind of fits in between both of them. It blur- it's blurring the line. Because I mean, as I said, especially with the uh, Ghost Recon, we'll use, the, we'll use that as our example. They were def- it was definitely advertising because there's all these aspects like the UAV and the squad sort of layout and system and the I, I don't want to call it active camo because that's uh, that's halo but they're sort of their version of it all those things were seen in the trailer and they're all very much on display yet it was subtle enough as I said that it's not hey guys look at these features they're neat huh Right? Yeah? You want to play? It was just sort of like, this is cool, and this is sort of how you integrate this into into a story. And because of that, I mean, I'd say, I'd say you're definitely right there. The lines are blurring, because you do have to also treat it as secondary material, because not only did this set up some of the neat things that would be shown off in the game, it also set the stage for the game to start. It set up the plot, so it's almost like prequel material. Same thing for uh, Assassin's Creed. It was a... Th- Oh, almost 30 minutes, or maybe more. I can't remember the time. It was a long time ago. But um, it was about Ezio's father and his life as an assassin, and it really got things going for um, Assassin's Creed II established. Ezio as a kid, as a teenager, and learning about his dad's lifestyle and some of the kind of background politics behind the Borgia and everything else that was going on around Italy at the time that really kind of plops you right in, sets you up neatly for what you're going to do in Assassin's Creed 2 and really adds a whole nother layer of depth of understanding uh, to the game when you start playing it. And as as we know from you, Simon, you're all, you're all about that sort of 
extra level, those extra meetings, those deeper insights into games that you know this sort of secondary material is providing. Well, I always feel like if I'm not totally committed to it, I'm missing so much. Uh, I'll give you an example right now. Just seeing the Halo 4 live-action trailer with the UNSC Infinity talking about four years after the war, we commissioned the first ship to go into space with the most advanced technology. I know yeah, what the building process was like on that. I know what technologies are part of it. I know what's happened in the intervening time. And it it just gives you so much to know about when you actually see it, when you actually play the game. It all ties together in such great synergy. I feel like this is an advertisement for watching movies and uh, reading books and all. Um, but I really would advise you to do so. I encourage you to do so. It it can add so much to your gameplay experience. But, I mean, some of the, the question is definitely brought up with this sort of, I, you call it a mix between secondary material and trailers with such high production quality. Who exactly are they? Are they really aiming for? Because I mean, obviously they're aiming for hardcore gamers because that's really that is that foundation that they they're really they're relying on. But I mean, these people are probably already going to play the game anyways, right? So I mean, they don't need this, you know, thousand dollar. I mean, not thousands, uh, tens of thousands, probably hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of production quality to not only think this up, plan it, film it edit it, really finish, you know, post-production, and then distribute it, you know, that costs a lot of money, and if you're doing that just to get a group of people who are already going to play it, to play it, doesn't make much sense. So, I mean, are they just sort of going for someone who, I don't know, who is going to see this on TV somewhere? I mean, this is 20 minutes, so, like, what are they, who are they really, who are they shooting for here? Exactly. I'm pretty sure that you probably before you even saw the Deceived trailer, you're probably going to give The Old Republic a whirl. Uh, 343 really didn't need to even put out the live-action trailer for Halo 4. I was a sure thing. I was going to buy it and play it um, because I've, I've, I've been a fan of this series uh, since it began. So that's, uh, that's not something that... That's not an audience they need to target. But could it be at slightly less hardcore gamers, those people who are... Bridging the gap between casual and um, and hardcore, they're, they've dabbled in the Xbox, maybe they've checked out a few services, they've downloaded a few games from the uh, marketplace, and now they're, they, they want to get into the normal experience. Can, and obviously, as we've seen on the Xbox, uh, the new Metro tile layout uh, provides advertisements, provides really big spaces for people uh, and for tiles to say hey check out this new game Ch- see the new trailer right here you click on it and it immediately takes you to a really neat experience where it starts playing the trailer you watch it you get sucked in if you're one of these less than hardcore gamers and i know especially for probably the shorter ones the uh the the two to five minute so uh trailers like the uh like we are odst or reach reaches uh deliver hope like those trailers i know they they're playing them those are the sort of things you can play on tv and i guess that i guess maybe it's that that sort of audience that tv watching sort of gaming sort of not but that see that it's like whoa like that was badass that's i'm gonna go look this up sort of thing 
I mean, I guess that that's the only really thing that makes sense to me as far as who they're who they're aiming at. Exactly to your point, precisely. It was the Halo uh, Three Starry Night trailer, which was the the two kids talking in a field, and then Master Chief was in the bubble shield, and he like ran out into the bunch of brutes. That was a Super Bowl, I believe, uh, TV spot. So I think that's exactly who they're going for with the short spots. And obviously, I think all of these uh, productions have really short 30-second uh, versions of them. But th- that's just a the small fraction of the total experience that they provide. And so it's really a question about where is that 10 to 15 to 20 to 30-minute um, production going. We already know that the 30-second spot that they can cut it down and condense, that that's for the people who are watching on TV, passing by, or playing in the corner now of any Metro page of the Xbox. If you scroll down, it starts playing a little uh, video with sound if you hover over it. Um, it's not going to be hardcore gamers necessarily, but it might be this kind of middle area Again, it's hard for us to exactly pinpoint. That's why we're asking you. If you are any kind of particular gamer who's been really moved to uh, check out or buy one of these games because of these trailers, then definitely let us know in the comments so that we can start a discussion about um, where exactly we think this is going. Yeah, and so, I mean, with that, we're really just sort of asking you guys because we're not really sure what else it could be. So with that, we're going to... Well, really quickly, before we move on, I'd like to mention that all of these uh, videos that we've mentioned throughout the whole um, this whole discussion, we're going to put them uh, in the link dump on our show notes so that you guys can, if you want, see them. We definitely recommend it. They're all very high-quality films or productions. And so with that, Alex? Yeah, and so with that, we'll move on to... Our next topic, which is uh, it's the rise of Minecraft, because I know I was on Kotaku the other day just sort of browsing articles looking to see what's what in the uh, gaming world lately, and uh, I came across a headline that I sort of, sort of took me back. I did almost, uh, I guess, the, the sitting down, not really as involved version of a double take, and I had to I had to read it again because the the, uh, the headline was Minecraft breaks Call of Duty's grip atop Xbox Live chart, and what this was saying is uh, Minecraft, which had recently been released on the Xbox 360, and you know it came over from the PC to generally positive reviews, and with that it actually knocked uh, I think it was Black Ops off of the number two spot in terms of online play. And I think this is the first time in something like a year, year and a half, two years, that the most recent Call of Duty and then the previous Call of Duty iteration right before that had not been 1-2 in terms of online multiplayer. And just that that really surprised me that so recent, like a game so recently released that you don't you don't even necessarily think of as I mean it's sort of multiplayer you go and build with other people but it's not in the same way that uh, you know 
Call of Duty exists solely as a really a, as a multiplayer title. I think at, at this point, there's very little illusion that the plot is the driving element behind these games. And it, it surprised me because it, it it's not like it really added anything new for the Xbox version. It kept the same formula that really made it such a popular game on the computer, which is pretty much blocks, 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 and imagination. It's, it's like the digital version of Legos. We've all played with Legos as a kid. I made what I felt like were super complex versions of Legos in my day as a kid. I had so many blocks from so many different sets. I'd mash them all together, create cool spaceships and all, fly them around. Uh, really just go to town with it, have a ton of fun. And I feel like this is the digital version for this generation of kids, and not just kids, because as we know, Lego inspires the minds of all people, and certainly it's done the same thing here. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I was the exact same way. I mean, when when I was a very little kid, I'd use wooden blocks and all that stuff, but as soon as I was old enough to not be an idiot and choke myself on them, I started playing with Legos, and I must have played with Legos for for forever because, I mean, I was just make all kinds of things, just like you said, you know, making spaceships and castles and vehicles and houses and whatever. You just make all kinds of stuff. You just you can make whatever you can imagine. It's just it's giving you these tools. And, I mean, on the on the Xbox, when you compare it to the PC version, there's a few limitations. Like, it only allows, I think it's like eight players on a server at the same time. And the uh, the map size for the server is smaller when you compare it to the infinite size of the map that the PC game has. It's, but, I mean, I mean, when you really boil it down, it's the same game as on the PC, and it's like it's the same creation engine. I guess you could call it that instead of really a game. Yeah, and expanding on the point that it's basically uh, the digital version of Legos, uh, kids can have a ton of fun with it because it's the most basic sense. It's just blocks. You build with blocks. It's uh, the most rudimentary element from which anything can start. And you can either just have a kid build a simple house or just a little castle and have fun, or you can have these guys go out and build the Starship Enterprise or the Death Star computers with logic gates using redstone. But the same thing with Lego, right? You have me building a little spaceship cobbled together out of parts, or more recently I did a Lego build where I did like a 2,000-piece Super Star Destroyer from Star Wars, or like I saw the other day in a Barnes & Noble bookstore, they have this new Lego architecture series, this like really classy kind of um, more adult type things like the Frank Lloyd Wright house and things like that. Yeah, and I mean, yeah, I've seen the same thing. They have like the Sears Tower, all kinds of stuff like that, and it's just, it's just, it's it really is impressive. Like I've seen things on uh, on YouTube where they've recreated the entirety of ancient Rome Colosseum and form and all. They've made things like all the castles in the uh, in the Game of Thrones series. Like they've recreated all of Westeros. They've, as you said, they've made computers, and these aren't just like a box that looks like a computer. These are somehow they've actually gotten it so that a computer runs within a computer. And if the game hasn't burned out at this point from pure paradox, I'm not really sure what would take it down. But I mean, I guess maybe the reason it didn't is because the beauty of Minecraft is that it really is, it's the purest form 
of a trend that has been in gaming for many years. Uh, and but ex- but this trend I felt has really risen to the forefront of gaming in uh, in recent years and really gained further prominence. And uh, that trend is sandbox games. I mean, these games have been around as long as consoles and PC gaming have been around. You know, you look back 20, 30 years, even before that, you see games like Zelda and Metroid on the NES, you know, the Nintendo Entertainment System, as well as, I mean, a bunch of others that really evidence the fact that this is nothing new by any stretch of the imagination. However, um, with the success of Minecraft is that it's that something has changed here something really it, it's shifted because before there was you know there's an open world there was a sandbox you can go wherever but in the end there was there was always a, an ultimate a final goal yeah same well sort of the same thing here you talked about very old uh versions of this kind of phenomenon um on older platforms more recent examples are little big planet on the PS3 where someone recreated top down zelda uh, using the tools they gave to you, or uh, Forge, Forge from the Halo series, which has uh, since Halo Three become incredibly complex, evolved, and kind of matured uh, in the way that it works, and we're seeing incredibly complex maps, game types, creations now with people spending hours and hours creating these very elaborate sets and game types. Yeah, and I, I think Forge and, to a slightly lesser extent, Little Big Planet, those are definitely ga- uh, well, not games, but creation engines in the uh, in the Minecraft mold. But they're those are both different than uh, many other sort of sandbox games, if you will, that have come about lately. Because, uh, as I was saying, all of these games have an ultimate goal. There's always some, there's always a princess to be rescued, a gold to be attained, something. I mean, you can you can go about it in with whichever way you want. You know, you can go east or go west, go north, go south, whatever way you choose. But ultimately, you're going to end up at location X around the corner from place Y, because that's just that's where the game ultimately will lead you. But in Minecraft, there there isn't. There is no final goal. There's the only thing that you are aiming for is the goal that you set for yourself. I mean, you, you can see this trend sort of evolved in uh, uh, a series like The Elder Scrolls. I know I probably I harp on this a lot just because it's a, a personal favorite of mine, but I mean, earlier games in this series gave you more and more ways to eventually accomplish a goal, but you definitely had to go towards the, uh, the, the goal set up at the very beginning of the game. I mean, in Arena... You had you could go a couple of different ways, you know. You go through the various dungeons or whatever, but eventually you had to stop Jagar Tharn and return Uriel uh, Septim to the throne. And then in Daggerfall, you had to stop the uh, the Worm King and go all over Daggerfall, but eventually you're going to end up stopping the Worm King. Um, I mean, sometimes in you know. More wins, you know, much a little bit more varied than Oblivion. A little bit more varied. Game didn't end with the ultimate campaign, and that's something you see definitely in Skyrim, and definitely at least in Fallout Three. Post, uh, I can't remember which DLC it is. I think it's Broken Steel. Um, after that DLC, like the game doesn't end with the completion of the main quest, and once you once you remove that sort of 
you know, game over, game complete, well done sort of thing, then you're starting to get close to where Minecraft is, where it's like you can do whatever you want. Yeah, same thing with uh, Assassin's Creed, where even if you complete the mission, final story DNA strand, uh, through various ways and contrivances, uh, the world opens up to you. And you have complete reign of the city. You can explore all you want, do all the quests that you missed, collect all the treasures, anything that you missed. And you also have the ability to then at any time go and replay any memory at all uh, as you want for basically the ultimate uh, flexibility, interoperability. Yeah, I mean even a game, or you, you might not think of this, but like Batman and uh the the Arkham series you you sort of seen this like in Arkham Asylum there was definitely there was a little bit of open world but not really it was much more linear sort of like you have the whole asylum but go to this building and then go to this building and then go to this building but you see in the more recent uh, Arkham City it's definitely sort of this this whole open world and my question is are we going to see a continuation of this trend where games will continue to approach a uh, a Minecraft sort of level of uh, tools given to characters, ways that they can create and modify the gaming experience, almost in a in a Gary's Mod kind of way, where they just, I mean, at least for Minecraft, Minecraft and Gary's Mod, and like you mentioned, uh, Forge, things like that. They really they just give you the tools and say, have at it, you know, do whatever you want. Instead of giving you, like, well, you know, this is the world you're in. Go wherever you want, but we sort of recommend you might want to do this at some point. So it's just, is this, I'm, I'm just, I'm curious, is, are we going to see a continuation of this? Or is this just like a, a momentary blip on the gaming radar? Or uh, is this like an experiment in a new direction for gaming? Or is this really a, a precursor to the way things are going to be for quite a while? I certainly think that Minecraft has a ton of momentum and inertia behind it. You saw that, that we're going back to the original title of this, that Minecraft was popular enough. It's just an indie title, um, but it was able to unseat one of the most powerful and one of the most expensive um, franchises and one of the oldest seated franchises in gaming history, Call of Duty has been around since 2001, maybe? 2000, maybe to the, or later, like 2002, 3, 4. I mean, in terms of the Xbox 360, it's been there since the very beginning. It's been, the, the series has been, you know, the top multi, like multiplayer title in whichever iteration is most current. Almost since the very beginning. Yeah, it's been an anchor. Two or three titles maybe on the top ten at a time. And for Minecraft to come up here and say, hey, everybody, just boom, right off to the side. We're taking the top spot now. All right, I'm, I'm, I, know, I think they have the, the number two spot. But still, it's the, the, the fact that it's that rapid. I mean, I think they were released on the, uh, on the 360 in the, I think it was in the uh, arcade or something like that less than a month ago and I think it was it only took them about a week, a week and a half to unseat Call of Duty. That's I mean, to me, that's incredible. But I'm just I'm sort of I'm wondering I'm I'm gonna pose this question both to you, Simon, and to the fans. Are you a fan of this style of uh leave it to the player kind of gaming? 
where you're not actually providing much of any kind of content in any way, really beyond the the setting that the uh, the player is in and the tools with which they can do whatever. I mean, is it? I'm wondering if do you feel ripped off in a way, or do you feel liberated? Uh, it's not that I feel ripped off necessarily. It just scares me because I know that. Um, I was fascinated with Legos back at the time. I'd spend my entire summers just building and building, deconstruct, rebuild it in a different way. I feel like something very similar would happen to me now, and I just don't have the time that I used to when I was a kid, you know? Yeah, and I, I, I get that, but at the same time, does that speak to, I guess, the ultimate success of of the game and of the concept? I mean, isn't that isn't that the goal of any game is to have infinite replayability? Yeah, certainly. I've I've bought and downloaded Minecraft for the Xbox, and I intend to have uh, a couple people over to uh, have four player, um, just have at it with uh, with the tools for a couple of hours, see what we can build, have a ton of fun with that. My brother uh, has downloaded the PC version. Uh, he's he plays it constantly. I have no idea what he's doing there, but I always see him with two or three friends uh, without fail every night. He has basically some time that he gets together with his friends and they are building, constructing whatever they happen to be working on. So within my personal realm, it has already infiltrated significantly. And yeah, it's not that um, for lack of any kind of um, refinement or anything, I think that crudeness is what lends it so much of its appeal because it appeals to very basic nature to build things up. But in the same way, Simon, I'm not even sure I would use the uh, the word crude because, I mean, Minecraft was available in uh, its alpha phase for so long and notched it so much to refine and refine and refine and just work on it for so long. I mean, he put it out there very early on for people to play. And as as far as game development goes, he almost sets a, a new trend in a a new way of doing things there, let alone with a game. I mean, when you consider he put it out there, you know, before even 1.0, and he just let people play around with it, and it ended up, you know, they would recommend things, he put it in the next patch, and they kept going and kept going until eventually, I remember reading about it, it was a big deal when he said, okay, well, we're finally going to push it out and say it's, you know, done in the in the, the finished version, so... I mean, it's just, I, I think it's almost, it, it may appear crude, but I think its appearance is misleading. I think it's very, it's subtly very refined. Yeah, and I'll, I'll close with this thought, which is saying that um, I, I said that I really don't have a lot of time these days, and um, to, to get sucked into that probably be a bad thing. Um, but Minecraft does now have an ending. I'm pretty sure it's like what you defeat the Ender Dragon and then you win. You quote unquote win Minecraft, and there are achievements now. So there's another natural breakpoint where you get 400 to 400 G, and that's basically it. Like you have accomplished everything that the game wants you to. I, however, I think I think that's just something we see uh, with the transfer over to. Xbox, and you just have to somehow shoehorn, you know, shoehorn achievements into it. And like I said, there are a few shifts to it in the uh, in the change to the Xbox. But I mean, ultimately, I mean, I, I doubt someone who just goes ahead and picks up the game 
is even going to really know about that or really seek it out unless they're looking, you know, through the achievement lists. And if that's the case, you're not really playing it for Minecraft. You're playing it to be uh, an achievement whore. Well, I, I, I bring that up. Um, I am achievement whore, but I bring that up because, um, lacking time as it is, it, I feel like it can still provide a very rewarding experience, even if you're going a bit more goal-oriented and not just kind of imagining some grand thing to build today. It's like, I have 30 minutes today, I'm going to get closer, I'm going to build some more weapons, build up my fort, I'm going to defeat the final boss, and then I'll be done with my Minecraft playthrough. And I'll still have a lot of fun with that, but it's just another way for different kinds of people to play it. I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a fair point. And, you know, as, as I said before, I'm posing this question to the, uh, the listeners as well. I mean, do, what, what, is your, what is your take on this? So I think we're going to wrap it up with that. I think we're running close to an hour and 30 minutes somewhere in that area. And so, you know, we had a, a wonderful time here with our guests. We hope to have many more community members on in the future. And you know, all these things you talked about today, we pose to you as questions, and we hope to see some replies, see some more emails at comcastwgg at gmail.com. And uh, subscribe on iTunes, um, give us five stars, rate us up. Uh, you know the drill at this point. And if you're, not, if you're just listening to the Comcast and you have not joined, um, do consider... Uh, creating a new account on wikigameguides.com and get involved. I know that I've seen a lot of these newer stories have had 10, 20, 30 comments even for some of Dan and John's more popular posts. So do join us. And so with that, um, this is going. This is the fifth Wiki Game Guides Comcast. We're probably going to have an E3 uh, wrap-up show Sometime next week, maybe the next uh, in the next two weeks. So watch out for that. Thanks for listening, guys. Thanks for listening.